Hey, Jimbo, you ready for this deal? Hey, let her rip, Cody. <laughs> Old stories like long lost friends. Rodeos and late night bends. History before our time. Round pens and pasture rides. Cowboys of the Osage. Howdy, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Cowboys of the Osage podcast, brought to you by the Ben Johnson Cowboy Museum, located in historic downtown Pahuska, Oklahoma. Hey, it's old Cody over here, and as always, I have my main man with me, Mr. Rodeo Historian, Mr. Western Historian, Mr. Ranching Historian, historian of everything Western way of life, and a songwriter, Jimbo Snively. Hey, Jimbo, good morning. Good to see you. What in the world do we got going on today? Hey, Cody, boy, it's just another great day in the Osage, man. And, Cody, we've got Mr. Keenan Barnard with us today. And, you know, there's not a more historic ranch in the state of Oklahoma than the old Chapman Barnard Ranch. I mean, there's more champion cowboys come out of that, movie stars. They ship more cattle out of there at one time than any place in the United States. Largest ranch in Oklahoma Largest, in the 1940s. You know, the best grass in, in the United States. Uh there's cowboy tracks all over that place. You know, it's just a, a historic ranch. And uh, it was founded by uh, Mr. Chapman and Mr. Barnard. And Mr. Barnard, Horse Barnard, is Keenan's grandfather. Mm-hmm. And Keenan spent a lot of time up there and, and got all kinds of stories. Probably knows about as much about it as any living person left today. And uh, we're going to... Uh, touch base with him on all the old stories and the things he remembers and all the old cowboys up there. And uh, Kenan, welcome to the Cowboys of the Osage podcast. Jimbo, thank you. It's a joy to be here. And I, I want, I'd like to give a shout out to a couple of organizations. One is, is Cody's. This museum, for anybody who hadn't been here, is a tremendous museum. You can spend hours here. You can spend all day here. And personally, I just am so overjoyed that uh, that he chose to honor the cowboys and 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 the cowboys of the chapman barnard are featured here prominently and i really admire that as a, as a member of the barnard family it means a lot to us uh, and i'd also like to give a shout out to the nature conservancy what a top-notch organization they are and uh, they've done the same thing in honoring my grandfather and and jim chapman for being good stewards of the land taking good care of the land never overgrazing it uh, and even to this day, the docents, when they give tours at the bunkhouse, well, they know more stories than I do. And uh, the stories keep getting better year after year. And uh, it, so a shout out to Harvey Payne, uh, Bob Hamilton, uh, Mike Fuhrer, who's the president or the, the leader of the Oklahoma chapter, top-notch organizations, um, and it's just a thrill to be here. So thank you, Jim. Well, we're happy to have you for sure. What's your first memory of that ranch? Well, my first memory was uh, moving back from California in 53. We, I didn't get to, to meet Ben Johnson Sr., who was the foreman there for, gosh, over 20 years, I think. Uh, but riding up with my grandfather, uh, I was probably eight or nine, and you come up that first 
hill in the 107, which was the first Chapman Barnard pasture, and you'd come over this rise, and Grandpa'd stop the car, and he'd say, as far as the eye can see is the Chapman Barnard Ranch. And I had never seen anything like that in my life. So that's my first memory. And then we had to drive for maybe eight or nine, ten more miles to get to the headquarters. Right. And uh, so being a city boy, it, uh, it just fascinated me. And then I remember spending the first night in the little house, which my grandparents would stay at when they were up there, thinking, man, I've never heard so many bugs in my life. But, uh, you know, I was just hooked from the get-go. I loved to ride those horses. They always kept a couple old gentle ponies up, and uh, uh, it was just a, a joy. So I was hooked early on. Did you stay? You, you said you stayed in the little house. What, what houses were up there then uh, besides the bunkhouse? Well, the bunkhouse was the, the main house, and then a little bit north of it, uh, I think cowboys lived in it for the last 40 years or so, but it was a little white house, frame house, and they called that the little house. They called the bunkhouse the big house. And then they had, you know, where the cars and trucks were, and they had the shoeing livery stable and the, you know, the big barn where uh, the horses were and the oats and all the tack and everything. And, uh, of course, they had the milk shed. I spent a lot of time at the milk shed when I worked up there in the summers and they had two little houses for cowboys, but uh, the bunkhouse was just the same as it, as it is now, except we didn't have air conditioning, and it's concrete floors, and those beds were 100 years old, and the mattresses were about an inch and a half thick, and, and uh, it was hot up there in the summer. But I started working up there when I was 15, because I got to drive trucks and cars and, you know, ride horses and... and uh, when I first started up there, it was still the Chapman Barnard Ranch, and they were still used the railroad to ship and receive. And so that was always an exciting time. I was up, never up there for receiving because that was in the springtime, but in the summer when I worked there, in August, we'd ship cattle from, uh, from Blackland. And that was always an exciting time because you'd get up before dawn and you'd just mosey the, you know, a herd of cattle, maybe a thousand steers in, in, in those big pastures. And uh, Grandpa and Uncle Jim didn't want you, didn't want you running those cattle. We just grazed them across and got them pinned. It was still early in the morning, and then uh, they weighed them all and waited for the train to come in. And and uh, the women all brought food and put it in the cake house and had these big long tables and and uh, it was it was exciting. How many head of cattle would each train car hold? Approximately, do you, you know, do you remember? Uh, I heard from one of the docents a couple of weeks ago, Jim from Tulsa. He said that when the cattle came up, there'd be thirty head in a, each train, and uh, when they shipped them in the in the summer, twenty three would fit on that same car. So they had fattened that much. I read somewhere, and I hadn't thought about this, but they said they. The tr- the train a lot of times didn't have time to wait on them, so a lot of times they'd have the cattle loaded before the train got there. Is, do you know anything about that? Like they could load an empty car and then take these big bars or something and, and roll that car to the next car where they could load cattle before the engine actually got there. Well, uh, I don't know how they would have done that without a, a you know, an engine there to move the, the car. Well, they said they could take bars and several cowboys and, and roll that car out of the way. And well, bring you know, another one in. But in that, the early that days, kind of far fetched. But 
Well, when that movie was in town the other day, Jimbo, something did strike me about the early days and the trains and stuff. They weren't near as big. Right. The train engines weren't near as big, and the train cars weren't near as big as they are today. Yeah. So I can see how possibly if you have a good old uh, rock bar or something, an iron rock bar, a few of them, you yeah. could possibly move a yeah. little train load well, of cattle. I just heard that, and I didn't know if it was an urban legend or, or if it actually happened or what. <laughs> well, 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 you're adding to that urban legend. Well, I'm to it. <laughs> but, you know, another thing is uh, uh, Mr. Chapman and, and Grandpa Barnard, they could, always, uh, they could always tell what these cattle were going to weigh. And they'd uh, when they when they uh, uh, weighed them on the big scale, that scale was as wide as this room, you know. And and uh, they'd get a carload of steers on there, and they'd bet on what the what that was gonna gonna weigh. And Grandpa or Chapman would always win the bet. The the cattle buyers would always be giving them a dollar, you know. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Uh, they, uh, they they loved to have fun and they loved to bet. And, so so they were usually sold. Right there on the place, and and didn't have to go to auction somewhere. Yes, that's they right. Went to the feedlot. Those those buyers would come in, and uh, they they'd look at a pasture, and uh, you know, Grandpa'd take them to the little house and feed them a steak, and uh, they'd play gin rummy, and uh, maybe late into the night, and they they'd make a deal. They'd buy you know eight hundred thousand head of of uh, cattle. Right. And uh, where'd they normally go? Did they go to Kansas City, or where were they? They going? they would go up to. Uh, um, a lot of times they'd go to the oh that little town east of Coffeyville, uh, sedan, not Sedan, um, further east. It'll it'll bubble up here in a little while. You know, I okay. sort of feel like that uh, cowboy uh, that I worked with after I'd spent time at college. I moved back to the ranch and lived up there for two years and had some cattle. And I was riding with this guy Art. He was a cowboy, and he. Uh, he said, shoot, you college boys. He said, I've already forgotten more than you'll ever know. And I, at the time, I didn't realize what he was, what he's meaning. Well, now that I'm 76, I realize. Right, I, right. I understand. Right, right, right. Well, that was the Midland Valley. Parsons. Well, Parsons, Parsons was the yeah, name. Yeah. Now, the Midland Valley didn't go to Parsons. It must have uh, been, got off on another river. Well, maybe, maybe what I'm remembering is after the trucking started, you know, the, okay. the, the trains started sort of stopped in uh i would say the mid 60s or so and then oh, right. then your trucks started hauling cattle yeah. and yeah. that that's as i remember back in the late 60s the the uh, horse trailers had started to right. be seen yeah. and the you know cowboys sort of changed a little bit but they could have another train track could have picked them up too and took them to parsons uh-huh. i really don't know what goes through parsons but the middle valley goes to wichita uh-huh. Uh-huh. i think it's where it goes right through my place so all those steers that came up here went right through our place to get up there one time you know coming in yeah what kind of cattle did they primarily well uh deal with up there there, there was a lot of a lot of hereford cattle and uh but there are a lot of cross-mixed cattle and there was some years where they had some of the King Ranch cattle come up. The W two, the uh, w, I think W twos. <laughs> oh, you want to hear something, Mister Barnard? I hate to get you off t- subject, and I really, I really do. Here, I don't know, about a year, maybe two years ago, Red Steagle. Have you heard of Red Steagle? Yes, the, oh yeah, the great cowboy poet and singer, and you know, author and cowboy newsman, Red Steagle. He called me up. He said, "Hey, Cody." Uh, 
Once a year, me and all my old buddies, we load up on a bus, and I take them somewhere across the United States. Sometimes we go all the way up Cody, Wyoming, and <laughs> this and that. Or, and I'm like, oh, my gosh. Red Steagle's about to invite me on this dang trip with the Red Rangers, I think's the name of them. He said, this year, we're coming up there to the Ben Johnson Museum, Cody. We just... We just really love it, but I thought I thought he was inviting me on that right. trip. Well, anyway, <laughs> he had a guy with him. Everybody else went over to eat at the Merc when they first got here, the Mercantile, the redrumming owns. There's one old guy, had a great big handlebar white mustache, about this tall, not a real big guy. He stayed behind. I said, sir, how you doing? He introduced himself. Tio Kleberg was his name, and I didn't know anything about him. At the time, name didn't register anything in my mind. And I, he, he said he was a rancher down in Texas, and he helped Red with his things. So I thought he worked for Red Steagle. Heck, I didn't know. But anyway, I said, let me show you some real ranching stuff back here, T.O. And I went and showed him the Chapman Barnard and the Drummond Ranch, you know, and all the great ranches we have from our area. And um, after he left, some, they went to the Tom Mix Museum in Dewey, and someone from the Tom Mix Museum was in here the next day. He said, oh my gosh, Red Steagle and his, all his guys were there yesterday. And you'll never guess who else was with him. T.O. Kleberg, the owner of the King Ranch down there. Oh. <laughs> I, said, I was showing him all about ranching up here. I had no idea who he was. The owner of the King Ranch. You know, he's got pickups named after his ranch and everything else. You showing him a real ranch. Yeah, I was really showing him what real ranching's all about up here in Oklahoma. That's he, a good. He's story. probably still laughing about that. Oh yeah, he's like, oh that dumb kid over there in Oklahoma. He didn't have any clue, but I really didn't. I swear, I swear. And uh, you know, that's ranching royalty. I was sitting there talking to Jimbo, and right. couldn't ask for a nicer guy. And he said something about the King Ranch, and I was like, oh yeah, we get. Oh Mark Freeman, one top hand in a King Ranch Ranch Rodeo they had one time. I have the spurs in here, and I went and showed him to him. And had no idea he owned the King Ranch until two days later after he left. Well, you better get him back up for a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> he probably don't want nothing to do with us now. No, he don't like us anymore. Yeah. Don't know who I am. Well, I just didn't. I feel embarrassed. I mean, and now that I've heard his name and stuff, I think I've read it and heard it, you know. It just didn't click that day. Is anything like that ever happened to you, Jimbo? Yeah, worse than that. It's some stuff I can't even tell. <laughs> yeah. Well, so, Gra Grandpa Barnard loved the Osage. He loved that ranch, and uh, I think he loved it more than anything. The family was on a trip one time, and my dad was along, and uh, they were out at Carmel, California, where arguably is the prettiest place where the land meets the ocean, and uh, a gorgeous place. And my dad said something about, isn't that the prettiest thing you ever saw? And my dad said, well, it's pretty. It's not as pretty, <laughs> pretty. as the Osage. Right. And, uh, and he meant it. Yeah, and then Ben Johnson Senior was was like a brother to my grandfather, and they they had a lot of fun together, and uh, but and they worked real hard together. They were right. hard working, but but Brent, Ben brought uh, a lot to the table for my grandfather. And there, there's a story about they're working cattle one day, and they bet on the OU Texas football game. Now my grandfather wouldn't bet a lot unless it was a sure deal, so they just bet a nickel, and so. Uh, Johnson said, uh, he always called Mr. Chapman, Mr. Chapman, but he all, always called my grandpa Barnard. He said, Barnard, he said, are you able to pay that bet you owe me on the OU Texas game? And 
And Grandpa said, well, yeah. He said, but all I got is a $100 bill. Ben said, well, I figured as much. I got change. (laughs) (laughs) He he was a hard guy to get get ahead of. Yeah, I bet. He loved to gamble. Yes. Mr. Johnson did. Yeah. Uh, Mr. Chapman and Mr. Barnes, they were related somehow, weren't they? Yes. You know, I had an aunt that said, we really don't have a family tree. It's more like a family wreath. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, so uh, it all started with uh, this uh, fella, McFarland, Robert McFarland, he moved to Holdenville before statehood and married Ida Barnard, who's my grandpa's sister. Well, grandpa's parents in Wachahatchee died. Um, I, I don't know how they died. They died, and so the, the kids were fettled out to older siblings, and my grandpa and one of his sisters came up to Holdenville to live with, with uh, his sister Ida Barnard McFarland. And so uh, uh, they moved up there, and they they were taking a mule and a wagon to get there. Well, the, something happened to the mule on the way, and they had to walk the rest of the way to Holdenville. So the, this was back before statehood. It was a pretty rugged area. It still and, is around Holdenville. Yeah. <laughs> you been down there? <laughs> Holy moly. There's it's a lot of good people cedar, come from Holdenville, though. Cedar, wood, and tick-infested area, and uh, lots of copperheads, too. <laughs> So anyway, and moonshiners. And the uh, McFarlands had two daughters. One was Lita, and one was Pauline. Well, Lita uh, married her first cousin, J. A. Chapman. So they were first cousins. Got married. So uh, uh, my grandpa was actually uh, J. A. Chapman's uncle, and uh, and of course they become businessmen. But the the ones that made the huge amount of money were McFarland and Chapman. They discovered oil in the mm-hmm. Glenpool field, and and uh, their first their first oil sale was to Magnolia Oil, which became Exxon Mobil, and it was in uh, 1916, the year before income taxes happened. Uh, they got a phone call from the from the president of um, Magnolia. And he offered them uh, $39 million for their, for their oil holdings. And, uh, you know, uh, old man McFarland said, well, that sounds pretty good to me. Let me ask my partner, J.A. Chapman. And J.A. had heard, heard the figure, and he said, yeah, that sounds okay to me. We got a deal. So, you know, no handshake. Mm-hmm. They, they, obviously, they had some papers worked up, but it was, uh, it was, the, oil, it was the largest oil deal done in america until the 1950s if you could imagine 39 million dollars in 1916 was a lot of money a lot of money and that's when they started buying ranches Uh, uh, chapman especially loved buying ranches and he and grandpa started buying the the one up in the osage and they bought one down in south texas together and then uh, chapman bought uh, three ranches in new mexico that were over a hundred thousand he, he owned a, a ranch in Holdenville, and this one uh, that McFarland owned uh, in uh, Inola, still being operated by the, by the uh, Ingersoll family. Um, so anyway, they, they got into ranching in a big way. And then my Uncle Jim Bob, who was the oldest son, sort of the heir apparent, lived down in San Antonio and ran that ranch down there where they'd take these yearlings and uh, send them up to Oklahoma to fatten up on that Osage grass. So, 
My grandpa always was proud of the fact that even in their lean years, the depression, that ranch never lost money. So, Yeah. My grandfather worked up there during the depression a few years in the 30s. He said the dust was so bad sometimes when he's feeding cows that he couldn't even see the cows. <laughs> you know, until couldn't find I, the feed grounds. I believe it. You know, the cake house. They'd fed it out of a cake house, you know. Yeah. And yeah. he couldn't find the cake house till he found the cows, and he knew they'd be close to the cake house, and then he'd go looking for the cake house. But that was right in the middle of that dust bowl. Yeah, that was real cowboying. Yeah. So, yeah. And those ponds, they, they dug them deeper so that they wouldn't run dry. And I think Grandpa said they never ran dry, those ponds. Mm -hmm. But, uh, yeah, those were rough years, and the wages weren't very top wages either. It was no. like a dollar a day. Yeah. And uh, they'd get a little bit of beef, you know, supplied yeah. to them. Right. But uh, that was hard, hard work. But I'm, I'm surprised how many people – that lived up there have nothing but fond memories. Yeah. Somehow yeah. you forget all the hard times. Yeah. And you just when, remember the good. When I was working up there in the summertime, uh, uh, Red Brooks lived uh -huh. up there, his wife, uh, Frances, and they had four daughters. So after, after working, um, you know, a long day, we'd, we'd jump bareback on a horse and ride up the mile right. up to Red's house to flirt with the girls. And, and, yeah. uh, and, you know, they lived in that clapboard house and the, they had cistern water and an outhouse. And, yeah. but those girls to this day have nothing but fond memories of growing up on, on the old sage. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, uh, Frances Brooks, mm -hmm. the mother was like a saint. Yeah. She was the kindest, sweetest woman I ever knew. And she cooked up there. She cooked yeah, up there. She, she cooked up there. And then she'll, she'd come to my grandparents' house, the, the little house and cook for them some and clean up a little bit. Mm -hmm. Did you remember Floyd Cochran? She cooked yes, up there. Yes, yeah. yeah, you bet, yeah. you bet, yeah. She is Johnny Kelly's grandmother, uh -huh. and she cooked up there. What was the son's, wasn't there a son named, uh, his name, I just remember he chewed a lot of tobacco. Well, her, her uh, Floyd's, Floyd's husband, George, George. Chewed tobacco. They just had girls, I think. Okay, okay. It was George that yeah, I remember. George. Yeah, yeah, big old boy. Yeah, big old Man. boy. I can see him smoking that cigar and chewing tobacco. He was a character all, all to his own self. They chewed tobacco and smoked cigars? Well, he, he chewed, I know he chewed tobacco and he did smoke cigars. Maybe yeah. not the same time, but he was a cattle buyer. Well, it's hard to believe, but when I lived up there, I chewed tobacco, did stuff, smoked Marlboro cigarettes, yeah. and, you know, right. did all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah, this, you want to hear something crazy? My grandpa was the same way, Jimbo. He chewed Skull and this other brand called Hawkins, and he'd mix it together, chew it in his lip. He'd chew loose-leaf tobacco, like Red Man or something. He'd smoke cigarettes, and he'd smoke them little cigars with a plastic tip on the end. And a lot of it he did all at the same time. Well, I'm glad he had that little filter on there. <laughs> <laughs> he lived like 80-something years old. He lived almost everybody in the family. But I wasn't a real good chewer. I was one of those guys that, uh, you know, you're in the pickup truck, and I'm, my head's sort of going back trying to keep all the spit from going down my throat, you right. know. And finally, I'd, I'd say, I got to spit, you know. <laughs> right. <laughs> I was always the first one had to spit. Right. <laughs> Did they have the white deer up there then? Yes. yes. Those, what was the story on them? Where did they come from? They, uh, they came, those white deer came from Japan. And uh, Grandpa Barnard got them out of some, some uh, zoo 
in Colorado or somewhere. And he also got some Siberian deer that had these white spots on them. They didn't, they didn't last as long as those white deer, but the white deer were there for oh, yeah. 30 years or so. And I remember seeing the last uh, of the, of the, you know, the, the studs uh, with these, these huge mm-hmm. horns looked like moose horns. Yeah, they were palmated. They didn't look, they didn't look like deer horns. Yeah, and, uh, but somehow they got hunted out or poached out or just died off. And uh, They're in the 70s. I was doing a lot of coon hunting. I'd go up there once in a while and, uh, on Sand Creek, and, and you just walk into herds of those things. Yeah. There was a lot of them up yeah. there. Yeah, yeah. But they, they uh, and they'd feed them. You know, yep. They'd feed mm-hmm. them in the winter, yep. sort of like pets. Right. But, yeah, that... Uh, they were special. That always amazed me, those white deer. <clears throat> but, you know, when I was growing up there, I don't remember the beaver. The beaver were not no. in this country back no, then. Right. And uh, there were some wild turkeys, but they were up north on Buck Creek. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but now they're, they're on well, Sand they, Creek, They had too. some white-tailed deer, too. <clears throat> I remember not too long ago. I mean, back in the 70s, we didn't have any deer like out at my house. They had deer at Hula. And they had deer at Chapman Barn, mm-hmm. you know, and then they've mm-hmm. gradually spread all where they're almost a nuisance down places, you know. Mm-hmm. But, so when I was up at the headquarters a couple of weeks ago and, and uh, they were getting ready to tour, do a tour of the bunkhouse, one of the mm-hmm. docents, and uh, there were some people there that, that I knew that we just bumped into, and they were bringing their relatives from back east. So these folks, you know, they don't get out to Oklahoma very much. And it reminded me the story of uh, Ben Johnson, uh, Ben Johnson's story once again. My two aunts, uh, Mary Lawrence, or Mary Barnard Lawrence, who worked up at the ranch during the war years, uh, she and her sister, Ann Barnard Whitehill, had both gone, gone to college back east at Sarah Lawrence, which is a sort of high foot, highfalutin girls' school. Well, they bring two or three girls back from the East Coast that had never been west of the Allegheny Mountains, I think. And Ben knows that they're coming up to the to the ranch to see it. So he comes down to town and gets some of his Osage friends to go up there. And so uh, they, he's got one Osage friend that's sitting crossways, you know, at the gate going into the headquarters. And he's got all his Osage regalia on, look, looks great. And these girls get out of the car and they see this Indian. Well, they've never seen an Indian before in their life. And so they sort of sort of go around him as far as they can. And they're going down that breezeway at the headquarters. Well, he's got another Indian around the corner. And as one of these blonde girls goes by, he reaches out and grabs her hair and goes, mmm. And those girls scream to high heaven and run down to the office, you know. Well, ben Johnson had a good time with that. He had a good sense of humor. He had a great sense of humor. And. Uh, but he was a real man's man too. Oh, yeah. He was, uh, he, you know, he didn't put up with much nonsense either. He was tough as wet leather. Yeah, know. yeah. So he could box some ears if he needed to. Yeah. He seemed to take his job up there extremely serious, from what I've read, though, because it don't seem like he entered too many rodeos after. No, he he, uh, he you know, he was a world champion, won Cheyenne three or four times, you know, and and he just pretty well quit to run that ranch. You know, Mr. Chapman didn't like a lot of roping, so um, there weren't a lot of ropes at that ranch until um, until later when uh, Orvid Carpenter got to be foreman up there, and he had four sons and all good ropers, and right. all of a sudden the ropes came back on when I when I moved up there after college. And, uh, right. But um, 
Who were some of the other cowboys you I remember? bet when they went around, there was plenty of ropes out around. Well, well, that's right. <laughs> they said well, Ike Rude worked up there for a while. I yeah. can't imagine Ike Rude not. Yeah. You remember this story. It's gone around forever. But uh, one Saturday, uh, Chapman was up there, and the, the boys were loading up horses. And, and uh, Chapman said, well, where are you all going with those horses? Johnson said, well, Mr. Chapman, we're going in town. We're going to be part of the parade. He said, oh, okay. He said, well, what are you going to do with those horses after the parade? He said, well, we're bringing them back up here. No, we're not having any parade horses at this ranch. So, <laughs> <laughs> so they didn't go to the parade. Yeah, right. I've had a couple that acted like parade horses, Jimbo. Right. <laughs> Pranced around. Right. I know what you By the time I was fixing to, to rope, they are kind of embarrassing to ride sometimes. But, heck, they didn't work too bad. So, yeah. Who were some of the other cowboys you knew up there, Keenan? Well, um, one one that I worked with, uh, uh, Oliver Knuckles. Oh, you know, Nuck. Nuck. Yeah, he was he was pretty famous, and you know we didn't always have time to spend time talking after lunch. But every once in a while, we'd sit out in that breezeway, and Nuck had some great stories. And uh, you know he'd talk about a catfish that had some kind of yoke on its uh, <laughs> shoulders that was tearing out water gaps along Sand Creek. You know, right. and. and uh, he he told some good stories. <laughs> that was, I heard it. somebody told me the other day that used to work up there said that actually Ben had fired Nuck way back and and got mad at him about something and fired him and made he wouldn't even let him ride back to the ranch. He was so mad he made him walk walk back to the ranch and get his stuff and then after Ben died. He came back to the ranch and went to work there. And get his stuff. Well no, no. He came back and worked, you know, went to way up in the one of the hands I've always been interested in is Slick Strayer that worked up there with Ben Johnson. What Slick you, was famous. What can you tell us about Slick? Well, Slick was he was the he was the runner. He was the runner that uh, was so fast. Uh, he's the one that uh, Ben Johnson got some OU track star to come to the ranch to have a foot race with Slick, and Slick, you know, ran barefooted against this guy, and the other guy had it on his fancy shoes and fancy outfit and of course slick just left him in the dust and uh how do you yeah. end up barefooted on the deal well i think he had some tough feet so he was he didn't have any track <laughs> shoes all he had was cowboy boots yeah probably. cowboy boots <laughs> <laughs> i heard he but, took a look at that guy and he thought oh no slick, shed these boots yeah slick's also the one here again these stories you know right they sometimes improve with age but he's supposedly the one that in the round corral up there where they'd break the horses, uh, he got bucked off and, and said, Johnson, he said, he said, my legs, you know, they must be paralyzed. And say, Johnson said, Slick, your, your spurs are stuck in the dirt. <laughs> 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 there was also a guy named Raisin, and they, uh, they called him Raisins because at the dinner table, they, you know, you'd eat pretty quick up there at meals. But uh, they always had these raisins that were soaked in milk that, that would hydrate them. And raisin was known to eat the whole bowl of them. And, uh, and you know, one time Chapman and, and Grandpa had a bet on whether he'd eat the whole bowl of raisins, and, and he did. So mm -hmm. they, uh, they started calling him raisin. <laughs> <laughs> Doc McIntyre was another yeah, guy I remember that I Doc. worked with. He, uh, he was a... Had a twinkle in his eye, and uh, he was a, a real-time cowboy. I went to school with his daughter. Oh, uh-huh, yeah. uh-huh. Yeah, well, I enjoyed working with him. Yeah, yeah he's a nice guy. 
Yeah. You mentioned the cake houses up there earlier. What is a cake house? Well, that's what they uh, that's what they call the feed that they still you know feed these cattle around here and feed feed the bison now you know the but back then the, the cottonseed uh, yeah it was stuff. kind of cut into cubes and it looked more like cake I yeah. think than these pet, what we know today they still call it cake yeah. a lot of times you know yeah. but. so they didn't have feed trucks and anything like we have modern now so what did they have these cake houses spread in one in each pasture or a couple in each pasture near the feed grounds or that's the way I understand it. Yeah, yeah, that's right. They'd have, uh, they'd have a, they, it, with with the trains, when they would deliver the cake, they had a big cake house at Blackland, and that's where it would be distributed. And then they they had a cake house at the headquarters, and then each each, uh, uh, you know, the place at Buck Creek had a place to store some cake. Place down on Sand Creek had a place to store some cake. How did they distribute families, it back then? How'd well, they give it, was, it out. It was mule and wagons. Wagons take it out there when the weather was good, and then the cowboys would feed it a lot of times a horseback. You know, just ride to the yeah to the cake house. Yeah, and, or or they'd load the. Yeah, you know, they had a lot of mules and harness yeah. and wagons right, back right. in those days. Right, and uh, they also had a salt house. That uh, the first time I ever used a wheelbarrow in my life, you know, being a city boy, was up there unloading a salt a, a tray a, a train of salt. So a big boxcar of bulk salt and you had the salt house and it had a little two by twelves or something running from the train to the to the uh, salt house and you'd load up the the wheelbarrow full of bulk salt run it to the into the salt house dump it and uh, then their guys would be there with burlap sacks and scoop to put about 50 70 pounds of salt in a burlap bag and then of course, you you had salt boxes all over the ranch that you'd put the salt in and some mineral, and uh, but I remember that I was too dumb to put on gloves that time, and I got all these blisters and that salt got in there. Yeah, and, oh. it you didn't know, most come things in sacks I, then; it came in just bulk. It to, did. It did at that ranch. Now you could probably go to a feed store and buy it in a sack, but mm-hmm. uh, it was cheaper. They didn't have the blocks in like they have now. The no, salt blocks. This was right. bulk salt, so. Well, a character building process for you. Yes, right. it was. <laughs> yeah. Separate the men from the boys. Too. You know, growing up, we didn't do anything the easy way on our little ranch, Jimbo. It seemed like my dad and granddad, they picked the hardest way to get the job done, and that's how we did it. Right. And they said it's just a lot more satisfying when we got done with the job when we did it that way. And you slipped better. We never owned a four-wheeler. They said we had four-leggers out there. Get out there and saddle one. Yeah. So did you ever find a, a hot spot to put hay into? A hot barn, oh, hot yeah. dust they were barn? Always, they were always hot. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we loaded this load of alfalfa hay in a, like a box trailer one time. And it got so hot in there, the dang hay, like, self-combusted, started on fire, Jimbo. Oh, yeah. my Lord. That's how hot it gets, hauling hay sometimes. Oh, yeah. I'm lucky I never self-combusted. Much hay as I hauled. I know. Yeah, yeah. I've been worried about you getting hot. You know, here. Hard <laughs> I was telling I was telling someone about hauling hay the other day, and they they asked me if I just only did it one time ever. You know, back then they didn't know what a round bell was. You know, it was Ooh. all just square bells. You know, and mm-hmm. handle them, and they were tougher back then, <laughs> for sure. It's harder to get people to haul hay now than it. Uh, yeah, you know, right. Yeah, they, that's why they have the big bales, I guess, because right. nobody, nobody will haul it. To haul. It is hard to get people to haul. I thought I was getting rich at nickel a bale on that 150 pound alfalfa. Bales you know, they, were hauling. It might have only been 120, but they seemed like 150. And then they had 100 pound gunny sacks full of feed. You know, 
Didn't know what a 50-pound bag of feed was mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. back then. So how would they take care of all the animals in the winter, you know, when you got a bunch of cattle turned down? The same way they do now? Just They shipped well, so many steers in the summer. What did yeah, they have to all, take care of? All they had were the, you know, the, the, the mother cows. cows and right. the, 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 my grandpa, his brand was X-Bar, so he, he loved his X-Bar cows. And, you know, there'd be about a 1,000 of them that, uh-huh. he, that he'd keep right. to winter. And uh, so, you know, you had the calving starting in the fall and, and uh, you know, the, just a good old commercial uh, herd of, Hefford, of Herefords. Mm-hmm. And uh, they'd, they'd feed them. They, those pastures they stayed in were pretty close to headquarters. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of timber and a lot of mm-hmm. cover for them. Yeah. And they'd feed with, uh, they'd feed, you know, on, with mules and, and wagon. Mm-hmm. And so it'd be cold. Right. It'd be cold for everybody. And w- things really changed, though, when when uh, when the, the ranch went from a generator to electricity. And, of course, it always had natural gas, I think. But before then, it was um, they had chickens and they, they had hogs they slaughtered. They raised their own uh, colts, horses, you know. But it uh, seems like after electricity, uh, they held on to the chickens for quite a while. But... Um, you know, trucks were got to be a bigger thing. Pickups came in, and things started to change, and uh, things were a little, little easier for everybody. Right. But still, that work ethic was was strong, and right. uh, you know, there wasn't a lot of frivolous stuff that went on. Who yeah. Who are some of the foremans that have been up there after Ben died? Well, after after Ben died, uh, Clyde Lowry took over. He had been sort of the, you know, Ben's top hand mm-hmm. and he was a you know he was a, a, a small wiry hard-working guy mm-hmm. one of those guys that you know tanned on his hands and his neck but mm-hmm. one time we were at a water gap working he took off that shirt and it looked like marbled <laughs> muscle i mean it was just as white as it looked mm-hmm. like a baby's butt you know mm-hmm. it was so smooth and pretty but muscled right. and uh, he he was one tough guy he cut his leg one time on a chainsaw and sewed it up himself mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, didn't even go to the doctor. Well, mm-hmm. he was uh, taking a bath one night and pulled that leg up and, and smelled something nasty. Mm. He had gotten gangrene, so he almost lost that leg. He finally went to the doctor, and they healed him up. He's tougher than a boot anyway. So uh, I heard he was uh, quite the roper. He was, he was a Hardy roper. was telling us he was, he was quite a roper, and his, uh, his wife, Pearl, why she was she could probably take down any man. She was tough, and together somehow they amassed uh, enough money to buy a sizable ranch up near uh, Cedarvale, Kansas. Um, you know, I think he had a couple of thousand acres uh, when he retired as as mm-hmm. uh, foreman of the Chapman Barnard, and then uh, Bill Vivian was was one that came out of New Mexico and. He looked like the Marlboro man. You know, I remember he was, him. He was the real McCoy and uh, just a great guy. He was there for a couple of years, but he really missed those mountains in New Mexico. So he, mm-hmm. he went back to New Mexico. Uh, then uh, uh, when, I, when I was working up there after college, Orvin Carpenter was mm-hmm. the foreman, and he had four boys, uh, uh, you know, Danny, who – Worked up there till just a few years ago mm-hmm. for the Chapman right. folks. We have his clothes on display back here, Danny. Yeah, good, yeah. Larry 
Carpenter was the was the foreman later on at the at the Barnard Ranch, yeah. and then uh, Harry, uh, and the oldest one, gosh, Gary, Gary, yeah, Gary. I haven't seen Gary or Harry for a while. Yeah. Hope they're still alive and well. well Larry's so. yeah, Larry, Larry died, died yeah. but he he was a great guy. Yeah. Uh, then, uh, oh, what was the guy's name that was from the Holdenville Ranch? Bill. Was it Tabor? Bill Tabor. Yeah. 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 And uh, he was a really nice mm-hmm. guy too. Yeah, sure so, was. and then Bill Reeds was sort of the, he was sort of worked for you know Bill Bell in the the office. He was the mm-hmm. office manager up there for for a few years, but they've always had really good leadership and, you know, people that get along pretty well with right. folks. Right. So, there was one time when when uh, there there was a lot of unrest among the the cowboys because they just weren't getting paid enough, weren't getting enough beef. And they, uh, this is when Orvin was the the uh, foreman, and we were getting ready to go uh, gather up Pond Creek and ship the the cattle out of Pond Creek. Well, Pond Creek is one of the more remote pastures at the Chapman Barnard, and uh, those steers there more like deer. You know, they're pretty wild, which really sort of easier to handle than real tame cattle. But uh, the cowboys all quit. So there were like seven cowboys quit that morning before we head out there, and so it's just Orvin, I think, two of the two of the the uh, carpenter boys, uh, or maybe three of them. So there were five of us going to gather that whole pasture of maybe seven hundred steers, and I thought, well, man, we can't do that. Well, we did it. And, you know, it wasn't a big problem at all. And then, you know, we drove them to Blackland. That's probably a seven mile, you know, journey. And shipped them out of Blackland, so so now, things did get a little uh, dramatic at times. If you went to gather them at daylight, how long would it take you to get get them to Blackland? Oh, you'd get there mid morning. Mid morning, yeah, That's a pretty good trip. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, you'd you'd start before before it got light. Yeah, and uh, you'd be at the pasture just when you could start seeing them. Right, sure. So, and maybe two or three hours to get across. Why did they call it Blackland? You know that is a good story, and I, I've heard different speculations on it. I always thought it was because the dirt was really mm-hmm. fertile there, but uh, somebody, I read it somewhere, they said that these, uh, you know, the train groups had different people that worked on these trains, mm-hmm. and that there was a camp of, uh, of mainly black workers, and so they, they hung out there building the railroad and stuff, mm-hmm. and those, so that's why they called it Blackland. Now, I don't know if that's accurate mm-hmm. or not, but mm-hmm. uh, uh, I've seen that story. Right, right. That, uh, Either one would make sense. Ben sure. Johnson's wife, Ollie, she told a story. Uh, when she was a little girl, they were building that railroad through there and said they had an Irish crew and a black crew, and uh, they were building that railroad, and and, and when somebody died, they'd have fights, and it was just a rough deal, kind of a wild, wild west, and they'd bury them up there in Four Acre, just to, out in the dump, you know, wasn't a, no headstone or anything like that. <laughs> they, they'd cover them up with those slips and the mules, you know. But anyway, it's, it's, when she was a little girl, she remembered this great big black guy that was kind of a, a boss of the black group, and he got into it with, with kind of a, a white boss, and and that boss said, I'll put you in the dump. And he said, I'll put you in the dump. You know, and they just argued that back and forth, and no one, neither one of them wound up in the dump. But it was just a funny <laughs> story. She remembered that as a little girl. Uh, well, 
lot of great memories, a oh, lot yeah. of great memories up there. But it's, uh, like you said, it's the coldest place I've ever been, and it's also the hottest place I've ever been. So, uh, you know, a city boy like me realized he better get back to the city and, right. uh, you know, grow to be an old man with his boots on. Yeah. <laughs> Have you ever been up there to Blackland, that shipping pens, Cody? I haven't been to the pens, no, sir. Yeah. They're still there. Of course, they're steel pipe now and everything, but it's still. And I think the cake house is still there. There's a cake house yeah. is there. Yeah, it's still there. Yeah. I don't know if it's still got those picnic tables in it, but. Uh, I don't know. I, they I they were almost as, from right here to the wall, they were probably 20 feet long. And over the years, people would carve their initials in there and, and uh, you know, yeah. a, lot of, a lot of names in there. So I don't know if they ended up in a museum or if they're just out there still rotten. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> but uh, we had an oil lease up there right by there, and, and I've been around those pens a lot just the last few years. And like I say, they're, they're not wood anymore, but it's still, you just kind of feel the, the ghosts of that place, you know, when they you're were, there. It was big, big pens, wasn't mm-hmm. it, because you had to, you had to keep a lot of cattle in there. Yeah. There was a trap across the way where they'd keep these two draft horses. Yeah. So when it was shipping time, they'd saddle up those draft horses because they were wide enough when you when you got those cattle into that last squeeze chute, and the, they were wide enough to take up that whole chute so those steers couldn't turn back on them. And, uh, you push them out up the... Just push them up into the train. Yep. I've heard Nuck talk about that. There was a well, that's something else. I know. There's a lot of a lot of history. So, well, some of the other neighbors would ship out of there too. It wouldn't just be the ranch cattle, would it? No, I think that's that's accurate. Now, I don't know if uh, if the Adams Ranch did, or or if the ranch, whatever it was before, it was the Adams Ranch may have done that. But uh, I think the Reeds maybe did, and uh, uh, I, I just don't know all the other folks right. that shipped out of there, but. The, Different people shipped and received out of there back in, back in the war years. Right. Mm-hmm. That's when they shipped a lot, so many cattle out of there during the war years, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it was, uh, you know, they, I always heard they ran like 20,000, but I heard up at the, from a docent it was 30,000. So, I don't know, oh. somewhere between that. But that's a lot of cattle. Well, it was. A lot of and cattle. And to drive them all the way from, seemed like Buck Creek's just out of this world up there to me, you know. Yeah. Yeah, that was a long drive. <laughs> cut across that Borum country. Yeah, yeah, you can kind of cut across that angle, but if you just drive it, it just seemed like God takes you forever to get to that house up yeah. on Buck Creek. Yep, that's right. <laughs> what about the, uh, who made the deal with Howard Hughes to come buy a bunch of horses from the Chapman Barnard Ranch? You know, that's sort of been lost in history to me, but, uh, uh, you know, um, there was some director that that uh, needed some horses, and you know that's back when they raised their own horse. They had a lot of horses up there, and uh, that's where, of course, Ben Son Johnson got his got his chance to take those horses to California, and uh, decided that instead of getting a dollar a day, he'd he'd like those Hollywood wages. He wasn't no and, dummy, was no, no. And I heard from the docent that it it sort of split. Ben and Son Johnson's relationship, and I never knew that. But uh, I guess Ben Senior was a little miffed that that Son wasn't coming back to the Osage. Right, right. <laughs> well, you but, couldn't blame him. Yeah, you can't blame him. And uh, he did all right. 
Yeah, what, ain't that something? Bought a load of horses from the Chapman Barnard Ranch. I guess that you said they raised their own horses. Old they, Ben they, Senior, they said had a good eye for a horse too. Oh yeah, I yeah. Mean, yeah. So yeah. I imagine they were raising some very great horses, some powerful horses. Right, no doubt. What about when Walt Disney sent a crew there? What you do know, you know about that? I saw a great picture of the Chapman Barnard crew in front of Walt Disney. Uh, maybe not Walt Disney's, but a Walt Disney uh, limousine up there at the ranch, a big white limousine that was sent up there by the Disney Corporation. What all was going on with that? Well, they had a special camera that they could, uh, they could film a 360-degree picture. And uh, my dad and mom and my two older brothers in 1958 went to Europe, and there was a world fair at, in Brussels, uh, Belgium. And they went to the U.S. Um, pavilion, and they were standing in the middle of this thing, 360 degree, and all of a sudden, there is Grandpa Barnard on a horse with all the cattle. And so it was at the World Fair in Brussels, and they saw this Disney thing that had, had been, it's like you're in the, the center of the herd in Sand Creek or something. The cowboys are there, all the cattle are there, and uh, so that was, that was one of those Disney things. And there have been other... You know, Life magazine was up there and did a story. And uh, so, you know, it was a famous place at one time. And quite frankly, I got I to gotta plug the Nature Conservancy again because uh, that place is finer today than it's ever been. And it's because of them. And, uh, and I've said this before that two of the finest men to ever walk that Barnard Ranch are Harvey Payne and Bob Sullivan. They're, they're, uh, yeah, they're, they're as good as anybody that, uh, that's been. Right. So. Nine, <clears throat> 1993's when I think the Chapman part of that's sold. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, uh, or was it the Barnard part that went to the conservancy? It, well, the, the Barnard portion is, is what went to the, okay. yeah, well, there was the a lot of conservancy. For some reason, there was a lot of resistance to that. Locally. There really was. What and, was that uh, all about? You know, I think uh, the resistance had been there uh, when Senator Nichols was going to introduce a national park in part of Kansas and Oklahoma. There was so much resistance, he dropped that. And then uh, the Nature Conservancy, when they found out the Barnard portion was available, uh, they got interested. And, and uh, the resistance was, was there again from the, from the ranchers and the uh, the oil producers, and the uh, you know the Osage. Mm-hmm. Nobody wanted the you know something like that happening, and all that land going out of production. And yet the Nature Conservancy did a wonderful job of educating everybody, getting everybody on board, getting everybody on the same page. And so here you have Frederick Drummond, who was a rancher, becomes one of the one of the advocates for the Nature Conservancy. You got Jack Graves, an oil producer who was fighting it, becomes a big sub- supporter of it, and the the uh, you know uh, the Osage Indians got behind it and they got got on board. So, you know, they really did a remarkable job getting everybody on board and and supporting this. And uh, and it's been a it's been a wonderful organization. They've they've you know identified three hundred different plants and species and. Uh, you know, it's uh, right. they've done a great job. The re- reintroducing the bison. Um, I heard just, otters reintroduce themselves up there. 
Yeah, there's they just of, showed up yeah, out of the blue. Yeah. yeah. Well, there you go. That's a beautiful creek up there, that sand creek. Cody, oh, yeah. you know, you see it over toward Barsville, it's just some muddy creek. But up there, it's just beautiful, clear. It doesn't even look like the same creek. Well, I think uh, Bird Creek starts yeah, Bird up creek there starts by Black, Black Land, doesn't it? Sure does. And uh, they had some some problems with the with the quality of the water here a few years ago, I think. Yeah, and but, I worked for that old company at yeah. the time, went through all that. Yeah, so there's... Uh, but uh, no, I read that the, the number one endangered ecosystem in the world is prairie land, well, natural prairie land. I know there's not any prairie chickens like we used to. You remember the prairie chickens oh, up yeah. there, how thick they were. We used to go hunting prairie chickens. Oh, I've hunted them. They're, they're hard to hunt. You had to get them on the, you know, they're right. coming into the, the roundup ground in the morning or right. uh, whatever. But we quail hunted up there quite a bit when I was a kid. And uh, your dogs are all the way up on the hill all after the prairie chickens, you know, you couldn't keep them down there. You know, there were so many of them. You just see hundreds of them. It's unbelievable, Cody. Hard to imagine now. So yeah. roughly half that ranch is Nature Conservancy now, but the other half is still working cattle ranch through Bass Brothers? Or Yes, that's correct. Yeah. I was talking to Harry Carpenter a while back and Danny. You know, they still have all the original count books and everything from the Chapman Barnard Ranch, the Bass Brothers do. Wow. All the original paperwork that Ben Johnson would go through and, you know, tally up how many cattle were in this pasture or that pasture and what's going on and everything about it, I guess. It's still, it's all still out there. It's all still here. Bass Brothers has it. Well, it, uh, you, when you see Harry and Danny, tell them hi for me. Okay. I, I had a lot of fun memories of, uh, one time, especially roping with those two guys in uh, in the Stish pasture, where where uh, you know, and they were good ropers. But I remember Harry roping a, a steer just as it was going off an embankment into a, to a creek, and the, the steer's hanging, you know, and <laughs> looks like an to, old postcard. Or yeah, something. and then Danny roped one at, that fell into some water sinkhole and went out of sight, and then popped back up. Mm. So. Uh, there were a lot of adventures with those two boys. It was good kids. But, you know, the Chapman uh, portion of the ranch, when he died, uh, Grandpa and Chapman had a, a deal that whoever died first, um, the other one, the surviving one, would get the headquarters and all the pastures around the headquarters. Um, and then the, uh, you know, the, the one that had died, his estate would get the, the, the pastures that were outside. So, you know... Uh, Jay Chapman ended up with Dog Creek and mm -hmm. Buck Creek and the Borm mm -hmm. country and the Daly country and Blackland mm -hmm. country. And uh, uh, I think the, I don't know if he ended up with the Leahy, but uh, it's still a sizable amount of land, and, probably close to 30,000. And the think. Bass Brothers have done a good job of keeping it up to, you know, yeah. uh, like say we had a lease up there and they're all the time spraying for Cerisa and different things, you know, and, and they're taking good care of it too. Yeah. Yeah, sure. well, I drove up through that country a couple of weeks ago, and it, it looks as good as it ever looked. Yeah, right. And uh, I think the Mormons are probably doing a good job, too, with the old Adams Ranch. Oh, yeah, no doubt. And, and of course, you know, uh, that Drummond family, uh, what a what a, a tremendous family they are. What a tremendous asset for Oklahoma. And I've said before, Frederick Drummond was one of my all-time heroes. But uh, for that family to succeed in passing those ranches on generation after generation— um, they're a lot smarter than we were. So. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's over a decade, maybe a decade and 10 years. They've been ranching the same land 
with the same family in the same area. That's almost unheard of in it's, this day. Yeah. It really is. It, it, right. Yeah. It's, it's an amazing feat that uh, I'm sure they're very proud of. Right. And then this redrumming, my gosh, what a boom to this area. Just in, incredible. You so. know, there's a nationwide on the shelves at Walmart this winter I saw, Jimbo, there's little miniature replicas of the mercantile, a building here in Pahaska being sold worldwide, and people are loving them. Yeah. They got cookie jars of towns here, of buildings here in Pahuska. They're selling worldwide. You know, I just don't, I don't think anyone's thinking about this, you know. <laughs> all, the old, all the old ranchers patterned, you know, the dishes that you grew up mm-hmm. with. That's what she's putting back out. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's just great to see. One of the biggest stars in America living right here in Pahuska. Well, Pahuska better get ready for this uh, movie coming out in October, The Killers of the Flower Moon, because uh, that's going to bring more people into town and, Hopefully, it'll be in a positive way. Right, right. (laughs) I hear it's quite a movie. We're going to see all shapes and sizes coming to Pahuska over this movie. (laughs) I've read read probably 100 reviews on it. Yeah. Mostly, they're all good and just saying it's a, you know, it's an epic. Yeah. It's an epic. But it was, you know, a tragic time, obviously, Mm -hmm. where, uh, you know, the Indians just didn't have many rights. And Mm -hmm. uh, so there's... Great wealth comes great greed. Yeah. Anywhere... That happens. That's just right. No, no doubt about it. That's right. That's no doubt right. about it. What about the cabin that's up there on the ranch? The old famous cabin. Is it the John Joseph's Matthews cabin? Is that? You know, Harvey like, Payne took us on a tour of that thing. It's tiny. Mm-hmm. It's tiny. But this man who lived there, was uh, he was quite a uh, an interesting man. You know, I guess he fought in the war, and then he was a poet, an author. author. And, and uh, But, you know, that'd be a little lonely living up there. And, he liked uh, it that way. I think uh-huh. he... You know, he, that's the way he was. He'd get up there and sit by that fireplace and write and just, he was really a talented man and I remember him well. Mm-hmm. Is he kind of credited, is he kind of credited with saving, you know, all the Osage's old stories and language? Kind the language, of? yes. Mm-hmm. He sure is. I think you can book maybe a private tour of that cabin or something or maybe a once a year, a couple times a year, some. They go take a tour through there. I'm not sure exactly what's all. I'm just speculating this whole thing here, but it's a pretty famous place. A lot of real famous authors and stuff, I think, have came to to write there, Jimbo. Wow. People we don't even know who's been up there. Oh, yeah. 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 There was a rumor a few years ago that, uh, I mean, years ago, that Ben Johnson and John Wayne wanted to buy part of that ranch or the whole ranch. I I heard that. I heard that, but I never heard any really serious... Uh, follow through on that right but um, they 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 could have been uh, you know that could have been a, a, a good outcome but i think the outcome we've got is far superior right so yeah uh, it's in good hands for sure it's in real good hands and uh, you know the nature conservancy i think is going to continue to grow and and uh, they're going to add to the to the prairie um, up through kansas i think they've got plans to Save more of the, the prairie up through Kansas. Why can't we get that road blacktopped up there? Boy, you know, I don't know. It was blacktopped at one time. Sure. But those oil trucks just beat it I to know. death. And uh, so they thought it, it'd be better to go back to gravel. But yeah. that, that would get visitors a lot happier mm-hmm. because um, the last time I drove up there was, you know, I've got an SUV, but it's front-wheel drive. Mm-hmm. Well, front-wheel drive doesn't do very well on gravel. Mm-hmm. you you got to... Right. Sort of watch it a little bit, but uh, 
so it would I think it would help their tourism to get those those roads blacktopped. Yeah. And maybe uh, I think it adds to the experience, Jimbo. It might until you have a flag. The nostalgia of it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Every time I drive those roads, I get a leaky tire for sure. <laughs> well, yeah. it's uh, it's great country, and I'm glad to see it's so green and lush. And uh, uh, you know, there's there's just a lot of good folks up here. Right. You know, this is where I learned to wave at people when you drive by them, even if you didn't like them, because yeah. uh, you might have one of those flats and need some help. And, right. Uh, right. And uh, so you always waved at people in the yeah. old days. Sometimes you're driving just, by just one finger, you know. Yeah, yeah. So. I do a one, a two, sometimes a whole hand. Right. Yeah, it just depends on who it is. Yeah. Clyde Lowry, he'd always go with a full shake, yeah. you know. A full yeah. wave. Uh-huh. Wow. Yeah. When I'm driving the Flamingo rig, I give it a full, full-on wave. Right. But <laughs> you're in star mode, though, when you're driving that. <laughs> you got that queen wave going I got there. it out the window like right. that. So you're probably old enough to remember the uh, tires that had tubes in them. Oh, yeah. 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 And you'd have a lot of flats on those, and you'd right. have to repair them. We'd always repair them, pull those inner tubes out, Yeah, you know, patch them up. You had a tire shop there at the... Yeah, at yeah, the, we had a tire shop, and, yeah. you know, pressure yeah. deal, and and uh, if, ch- if you a were lot of flats. Uh, making a Mount Rushmore of Chapman Barnard Cowboys, and they don't have to be ones you even met or not, but just what you've heard or who you, you've heard about stories... Need four names. Would you put on it? Well, you know, you'd, you'd have to put on Ben Johnson, yeah, and and Son Johnson, and uh, probably Slick, and um, you know, Tuffy. That that fourth one, I you know, I just don't even know. Um, you about got to go with Carpenter. He produced all those great kids that were all great cowboys. Well, that's true. Carpenter. Yeah, that that'd be a good one. That's really yeah. something. Yeah. I bet old Slick Strayer never dreamed he'd ever be on Mount Rushmore. <laughs> but, you know, probably, you know, thinking about it, I'd probably put a woman up there, Frances. There you go. Yeah, yeah. Frances Brooks. Did you ever know? Because Dr. those women, you know, those women had, oh, they yeah. had a hard life. Uh, it, it could get lonely up there. Yeah. And, uh, uh, but they were the ones who kept the families going and, and got all the kids to school. And, you know, they were, they, they had that one-room schoolhouse at Pearsonia where right. all the ranch kids went. And, uh, you know, it was, it was sort of tough. Did you know Doc Martin, or was that before your time? No, I did know Doc Martin, yeah. yeah you bet. Yeah. Where, did, where was his place at? Uh, it was, on, it was on between Buck Creek and, uh, and uh, Cedarvale, I think. Okay, way up there. Yeah, sort of close to the state line. Yeah. You know, that's... Uh, did the ranch go all the way to the state line? It did. During the 50s, it did. It went all the way. They had the they had that Saulmeyer country. Uh, I think the Chapmans still have that Saulmeyer country. And then the Ledbetter country, which was pretty... A lot of limestone, not a lot of grass there. Uh, and they sold that, I think, in the late 50s, early 60s. But that went all the way up to the state line. And, uh, you know, we... There at... Um, what it was that little town it wasn't sedan it was uh hewins 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 there was one little store in hewins and uh you know you could stop and get a soda pop or ice cream bar or something we we'd go up to clyde lowry's place to haul hay for him or whatever and he'd buy us a you know six ounce coca-cola that that'd Mm. be what we'd have for the summer you know as a 
one one Coca Cola or something. Those little cokes are better than the big ones, aren't they? <laughs> they are for sure. No doubt you know, about it. There was a little place in uh, in Four Acre too, a little little mm-hmm. general store mm-hmm. yeah. that uh, sold a few things. Not right. much, but a right. few things. <laughs> I remember some famous Pierce. photos of that. Of oh yeah, a bunch of yeah. Chapman yeah. Barnard Cowboys at that Four Acre yeah. store. Yeah. Yeah. Pearsonia had a little settlement, you know, and stuff. It wasn't much there when well, I was there, a kid. When, when I was there, the, all the, all that was there was the. The, the little schoolhouse, little schoolhouse, and then the you know a couple of ranches, right? Uh, ranch right. houses. Or it did had a hotel and everything at one time. Really, what I've read, sort of a railroad boom town. Yeah, yeah. I'll be darned. Well, you know these are uh, these little towns have sort of suffered. We when we were up here at the uh, headquarters a couple of weeks ago, we went through Four Acre, then went through Scheidler, and uh, went through um, Fairfax, Pawnee. Stopped at the Pawnee, uh, you know, Indian powwow. And, you know, a lot of those towns are suffering. Mm-hmm. There's not right. a lot there. Right. But the uh, country's still beautiful. Yeah. Granola, that's another little yeah. town up there. Yeah, yep. Sure not much there. No. Not, not much. No jobs, probably. No. How can you do all their church auctions up there, Jimbo? Yeah. Granola, Four Acre. Yeah. Right. I don't even know all these other little towns. I'm always getting invited up there to do you know, I Charity like to see work. these old pictures. Of, they all had good girls' basketball teams or men's basketball teams. Sometimes they won state. I think Granola won state one year. I've seen those old pictures. You wow. Know. Wow. Crazy. Well, but the best times are, are yet to come. So, at least for Pahuska. Yeah. You know, with the, the, the uh, Osage Indians doing so well and casino and all, all the hotels coming to town and need to get another good hamburger place. Yeah, we so. do for sure. It's no joke because, you know, like 12, 12, 13 years ago when I first got in business here in Pahuska, Kahika Street, where Reed Drummond is now, there was only four open businesses <laughs> on the whole street, Jimbo. It was me, my old pawn shop. Right across the street from the pawn shop was the pharmacy. And then we had a tower loans place. And then Jody Martin's deal. That was the only businesses open on the whole Kahika Street. Right. When, uh, I first got in business here. That was just 12, 13 years ago. You said you saw a tumbleweed rolling yep, down the street. I, did. I, swear. <laughs> I sit there at the pot shop one day. I'd have weeks where, you know, three or four people, the whole week would come in the store, you know. And uh, I looked out the window one time, coming off the hill there, was a dang tumbleweed just going right down Kahika Street. I said, oh, no, <laughs> this ain't good. Luckily, Reed Drummond, she busted it wide open for right. sure. Well, it's it's quite a place. So, there used to be a service station, a DX service station down at the end of Kaihika Street, and uh, Fred, sorry, service. Yeah, yeah, that's it. <laughs> we we had to, one time we had to drive the power wagon from the the headquarters, and the only gear it had was reverse. So we had to drive it in reverse for what eighteen miles, right. and then come down the the street and hope we didn't. That's a big take old hill the, to come down. Yeah, t- hope we didn't take out the filling station. <laughs> I guess that road was just the same spot it was back then when you were going up there, the, the road up there, the Chapman. Yeah, yeah, right. it was, well, it was, um, it was all gravel. And there, there, for a little while, there was part of it that didn't even have gravel on it. And uh, I remember I drove my grandfather up there, Grandpa Barnard, uh, when he was 80-something. Uh, he was still a better driver than I was at 16, but they – the family didn't want him driving anymore. So I'm driving, 
we come around the, the hill. There used to be a, a sort of roller coaster deal as you turned from the Osage Ranch. And then, then uh, it was wet, and I was driving his Lincoln, you know, back wheel car, and I was going too slow in that mud, and I just went over in the bar ditch. And he, uh, he didn't fuss or fight or cuss at me or anything, but he said, uh, well, son, he says, you get out and push. He said, I'll, I'll take it from here. So I'm in the back, and he's gutting that, that Lincoln, mud flying and everything, just covering me with mud, and I'm pushing, and out he comes. So wow. he, he, he bailed out a young, young kid there, a young whippersnapper. <laughs> <laughs> but he was the kind of man you didn't want to disappoint very often, I'm yeah. telling you. So. Holy moly. <laughs> what a place. I've had to do that same kind of stuff. But my grandpa was smoking a cigarette yelling at me, God damn boy. <laughs> Why'd you do this? Why? I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, you got to learn a lot of stuff the hard way, don't you, Cody? <laughs> That's all I've ever learned. In. My, I'm sort of that same type. <laughs> <laughs> I guess it sticks better with you if you learn the hard way. <laughs> you definitely don't. know the consequences when you learn it the hard way. For sure. Well, you know, it, it just, uh, I, in my lifetime, I've had the pleasure of knowing a lot of people of good character that, uh, you know, good good folks who, uh, you know, you can trust and you can look them in the eye and shake their hand and not have to worry. And uh, for those few scoundrels that take advantage of you, you know, you just sort of shake your head and go on. But yeah. uh, uh, to me, life is a lot about you know, picking up and going on, having right, faith. Right. And I think a lot of those old timers had a lot of faith. They built this state into a, into a great place. And, uh, you know, we have them to thank. Yeah. And so I think glad that's why, I think that's why we honor these, these ranchers and uh, people that were really, you know, salt of the earth, right? The men and the women. And I think a lot of times the women don't get enough credit. They live the life just like the guys. Oh yeah, there, so. yeah, that's right. It's definitely not easy, but just like you said earlier, you read and read and read, and you talk and talk and talk to all these old timers, and uh, they talk about how hard it was and how hard the work was and how long the days were. But they wouldn't change it for the world. Yeah, and they'd go back in a second right. to that. That says a lot about it, right there, to me. Well, it was a simple life. But it's you know we lo- we uh, I, I tell people that uh, we learned in Tulsa a few weeks ago what's important in life and that's electricity because we lost it. And, yeah. <laughs> you know yeah, we've gotten wild. we've gotten to where we rely on our electricity and our iPhones. And, we got soft. <laughs> yeah, we got soft. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty bad. That was a Tulsa apocalypse down there. Yeah, it was not pretty. But uh, you know, once again, neighbors help neighbors and. Uh, you know, people helped each other, and uh, that that's about the only, well, that's a nice thing that comes out of these mm-hmm. disasters is folks reaching out. Well, Help. they got a taste of rural living because, yeah. heck, we've been without power here at Pahuska, I know, for like three weeks in a row before, you know, when an ice storm came mm-hmm. rolling through and all the, knocked down all the telephone poles and stuff like that, so... Well, also it, was living in the rural life there for a while. And, right. you know, that pandemic uh, affected... Pahuska a lot. I know that uh, uh, Chief Standing Bear talks about the fact that a lot of his people, you know, didn't have access to food. So th- I know the Osage Indians now grow a great amount of their food 
take care of the tribe, make mm-hmm. sure that doesn't happen again. Yeah. So, yeah, they put in a big thing out here to be food sovereign, food sovereignty. They've got the, for the tribe, the meat market down there at Hominy too, a big yeah. slaughterhouse deal. Yeah. So, <clears throat> I ain't gonna starve to death. Luckily, I'm married to an Osage Jimbo. <laughs> Well, I'm not going to starve that either as long as there's deer walking right out there. <laughs> you know, we were real lucky right here during that deal. They didn't. Sh- they only shut down Pahuska for like less than a month. Mercantile was back up and rolling. Every store in this town that wanted to be open was back up and rolling. And, you know, we had a tourism boom in the middle of it. We were real lucky. We got through it. But anyway, you got anything else for him, Jimbo? No, just thank thank him a lot for coming up. And takes me back a long way. You know, when I was a kid and up there fooling around and worked up there then later in life and on those oil leases and stuff. It's, well, just, I've heard it's about a special you, place to me. I've heard about you and your family for a long time, and uh, it's a pleasure to meet you. And, of course, Cody, he's uh, he's a legend up here. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, always fun, around, fun being around him and uh, – I think I said earlier I mispronounced uh, Bob Hamilton, uh, you know, but uh, he's he's the scientist at Nature mm-hmm. Conservancy uh-huh. that I, I want to write that uh, that mistake. So anyway, it's a jo- it's a joy being up here and brings back a lot of good memories and a lot of good times. Well, we appreciate you. Well, all right, everyone, get up there to the Nature Conservancy. Check out the old. Chapman Barnard Ranch, now the Tallgrass Prairie Nature Conservancy. Get don't, down here. Don't pet the buffalo. Don't pet the buffalo. <laughs> if you do, film it so I can watch it. We're smarter than that here in Oklahoma. They do that up in Yellowstone all the time. I throw a little sidestep on him, Jimbo. Yeah, like yeah that's your old clown Buck coming out in you. Would have done. But, yeah. uh, and uh, get it down here, see the museum, learn about all the, a lot of the cowboys that worked up there, learn a little bit about the ranch, see some relics from the ranch, and uh, just get to Pahuska. It's just a melting pot of history around here between the Osage Nation, all the big oil corporations that's came and gone through here. But what I love is the cowboys from here, Jimbo. Oh, yeah. Learn all about them. And come to this museum and get your picture taken above uh, on this bison that's over on my left, or get on the, ho- the plastic horse and try to rope those horns. Yes. It's a, it's a fun deal. I think we need to change... Webster's Dictionary from bison to buffalo. I just I like the sound of it better. Uh, I do too. That's <laughs> what I grew up listening, you know, hearing bison or buffalo, not bison. I know. Correctly, they're technically bison. I know it's correct, but when have we been correct? <laughs> one time, one time when I when I met my wife, Jimbo said right. I do. That's the only time. Best, I best movie you ever made for it. sure. <laughs> All right, everybody. We'll see y'all next week. Old stories like long lost friends Rodeos and late night bends History before our time Round pens and pasture rides Cowboys of the Osage